At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning into our series, The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to his followers in the book of John, we'll learn to follow in the steps of Christ as he marks out the way of discipleship for us. Good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? That's great. My name is Kevin, and I'm really thrilled to be with you. Um, really happy and thrilled to serve you as your associate pastor. And I just want to take two seconds and just say how much I'm enjoying it here, how much I love all of you, and how kind you all are to me and to my family. It really means a lot to us, and it's been such a joy. It's hard to believe just finished my 10th week here. Um, it feels like a lot longer than that, but that's, I trust that you will understand that means that's a good thing. Last time I was with you, I mentioned that I love the outdoors, and so I have another outdoor story for you, but I promise this is not the start of some trend. But uh, man, it's a long time ago, about 20 years ago, I was hiking in Rocky Mountain National Park. Anybody ever been there? Colorado? Okay. So you got a verbal yes. She loves it there. I love it there. It's awesome. But I was hiking with some family members up Long's Peak, which happens to be the largest in Rocky Mountain National Park, 14,259 feet. So it's pretty high. Uh, it's about 15 miles round trip from the start of the trailhead up to the summit and back. It's pretty demanding. It takes more than 12 hours usually to complete. The weather's really unpredictable there, so you usually have to start at 2 or 3 a.m. to make the summit. I lost everybody when I just mentioned that. Nobody wants to hike with Kevin, and that's okay. But the trail starts out pretty easy, and then it gets really demanding. You go up these steep switchbacks, so you basically just walk up and up and up. You turn around, and you do it again, and you keep doing that over and over again. And then about six miles in, you come to this sign, right? And I'm not going to bore you. You might not even be able to read it. small text, but basically it says, hey, it's going to be dangerous, you're going to need to hop and scale over dangerous rocks up this thing called the boulder field. And at the bottom of that sign, it says this. It says, self-reliance is essential. And the boulder field is, not, is no joke. It's not very long. It's less than a half mile, but it's about a 50-degree incline. I have a picture of that for you. Yeah, it's pretty steep. So you've got to hop and scramble. You're usually on all fours, I was, to get up this thing. But at the top is this rock formation called the keyhole. I have another picture of those. So it's just basically named for the shape of, that it is. But you pass through there, and it's about another mile up to the summit. The boulder field is tough, really tough. Um, I was an office boy at the time, so I didn't, you know, it wasn't really, I was fit, but that was pretty sad. Anyway. But I couldn't make it any further. I made it to the keyhole, and the altitude just got to me. Right? I, was, I was having trouble breathing. Uh, I was dizzy, disoriented. I had an intense headache, probably the worst of my life. And I just had to sit down. So my family members, my uncle and my cousin, they kept going uh, and just left me there. No, I mean, I found a rock to sit down on. They went to the summit on their way back down. They picked me up and went down. But as I was sitting there, there was a person who approached me. Didn't, didn't know him, didn't catch his name, but he was a great comfort to me. He helped me get my breathing under control. He helped me relax and drink water. He was a great comfort to me. He reminded me that all was not lost. 
you know, no amount of self-reliance was going to help me in that moment. I knew that that person was a truly a gift from God, but I didn't know he was going to be there. I didn't count on his presence. I didn't count on him being there when I needed him. And sadly, I think the same could be said of many Christians when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We just don't count on him. We don't realize he's tangible. He's with us. He's there. And I think sometimes we don't even view him as that constant abiding presence. Maybe you're like me earlier in my life. I just treated him as an it, something weird, something mysterious, something kind of just mystical even. But Jesus gives us an altogether different picture of the Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't describe him as weird, doesn't describe him as mystical, not at all, far from it. But before we look at what Jesus says, I want to pray. So join me in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. God, it is in awe and wonder that we come before you. We come before you needy, Father. Needy because we carry in here so many things. So many things that hinder us from seeing you and knowing you. So many things that, just quite honestly, Father, get in the way of the truth of your word. So I pray now in this moment for your, your sons and your daughters, my brothers and sisters, is that we would lay those things down at your feet. Those things that burden us. Those things that keep us from renewing our mind on the truth of your word. Give us fresh eyes to see, fresh ears to hear, and hearts to know, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're continuing our series that we've been calling the Follower's Trail Guide. And we've been navigating through these handful of chapters in John's Gospel called, typically called the Farewell Discourse, where Jesus is spending his last night with the disciples and he's just dropping truth bombs, if I could be honest with you, on his disciples. And there's so much packed in here. And it's kind of a trail guide in a sense of how to follow him. He's given his disciples an example of sacrificial love and washing their feet. Something truly unthinkable for a first century Jew to do. He also revealed what it means to love as he loves. And a new commandment I've given to you, love one another as I have loved you, he said. And last week we looked, Jesus really doubled down on what it means to believe in him, to have an unshakable belief in him. And this week, honestly, we come to the part in the conversation where Jesus just makes some incredible promises. The biggest being that Jesus sends the Spirit to help us on the way. He's our helper on the way of following Jesus. So let's dive in. John chapter 14, if you have a Bible, John chapter 14 will be in verses 15 to 31. 15 to 21 will be our first text here. If you do not have a Bible, please see our Welcome Center on your way out. We have Bibles there for you. We really want you to have one. If you don't own one, if you don't have one, please get one from the Welcome Center. If you do have a Bible, join me in John chapter 14. It also will be the scripture up on the screen for you to follow along. So John Chapter 14, pick it up in verse 15. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, 
and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Man, such intimate language from Jesus. And if you're familiar with the Gospels, Jesus had predicted his death multiple times. And multiple times, it was lost on the disciples. They dismissed it. They said he was crazy. How could you say this, Jesus? But now he's crystal clear. He's leaving. He's going away. And his disciples are afraid. They are very unsettled and confused. Remember some of the things they've said. Peter said, where are you going? Also, Peter says, why can I not follow you? Last week, Thomas is the one who said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And in the midst of all this confusion and this fear, Jesus comforts them with, quite honestly, the most incredible promise that he could have promised them. He promises to ask the Father to give them another helper. And this word has been translated various different ways, sometimes comforter, teacher, advocate even, counselor, helper, as we see here, but also guide. And each of these are very helpful, but none of them are sufficient on their own. Each on their own leave open the possibility that you and I are kind of the dominant force in the relationship. Like you and I are the ones doing all of the work, we're guiding the way, and he's just kind of a tag-along. He's just assisting us when we need it most. And so how are we to understand this? Well, the key is, is in the word, Jesus says, another helper. And the word that Jesus uses here means another of the same kind. So I don't know if you caught that, but by Jesus' own description, the Holy Spirit is just like him. Man, that's so awesome. He's just like him. He's on the same level as him. Jesus even calls him the spirit of truth. That question I just referred to you before about Thomas, we do not want to know where you're going Jesus answered that with saying, I am the way. I am the truth. Here Jesus is bringing consistency to the Holy Spirit and himself. And he says he will be with you forever and will be in you. Church, he abides in us. The spirit of truth dwells within us. That's the first thing we should understand, understand excuse me, about the Holy Spirit. But I want to drive you back to the text because I want you to notice something really important. Jesus' promise to send the Holy Spirit is bookended by verse 15 and verse 21, where Jesus basically says, if you love me, you will obey me. And in fact, Jesus says that four times in our text. And I think there's a huge risk for you and I as modern readers to really misunderstand this. See, in this conversation up until this point, Jesus has been talking about his love for the disciples, how he loves them, how he gives them a new commandment because he's loved them a certain way. He wants them to follow in that love. But now he switches it. He's talking about their love for him. And the danger for you and I is to assume this is some legal or lifeless and rigid or almost plastic even obedience that Jesus is asking for from his disciples. 
But to assume that would be tragic. And I don't want you to assume that. So notice what comes first. Love. Love comes first. If you love me, you will obey me, Jesus says. See, you and I, we don't obey to receive love from God. No matter how much we obey God, it doesn't mean we're trying to buy his love from him. We obey because we love. It's not the opposite. Love is what comes first. And so this, Jesus, this is all about devotion here. There's no transaction about obeying to get love. This is all about devotion. Think about it. When you love someone, there's a consequence to that love, right? Something naturally follows when you love someone. And that's what obedience is. Obedience is responding to Jesus out of love. Jesus never demanded or forced his disciples to obey him. He never coerced them. And I love the way John Piper kind of describes what Jesus is saying here. I think it's really helpful. He says, obedience to Jesus is the reflex of loving Jesus. Think about that. It's just the reflex. It just naturally happens when we love Jesus. So take, take a step back for a moment. The giving of the Holy Spirit by Jesus, the promise to send the Holy Spirit, is given in the context of relational love. Right? Jesus is kind of opening up his heart. He's kind of pulling back the curtain for the disciples to kind of see his relationship with the Father and the Spirit. It's just saturated in love. They love one another deeply. And because they, they dwell in one another. This is why Jesus, it, he was delighted to do the Father's will because he loved him. It was all about love. And a depth of love, I don't think the disciples were grasping. But this is why Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Because by the Spirit dwelling in us, disciples as, of Jesus have access into the love that the Trinity naturally and freely enjoys. It's the same reason why Jesus says in verse 17, you know him. He dwells with you. Think about it. As Jesus has walked with the disciples for three and a half years, the Spirit was with him. So the Spirit had already been with the disciples. They already knew him. And Jesus affirmed it. He also says in verse 18, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to be with you through the Spirit. Jesus is speaking very much personally here very much relationally. The Spirit dwells in us and brings about a oneness with the Father and the Son in the same way as Jesus has oneness with the Father and the Spirit. So the Spirit brings us into this communion to live in that love and then empowers us to live through that love for all those to come and know Jesus, to believe in Him. When I first met my wife, Georgette, it was a long-distance relationship. She lived in New York, and I lived here in Michigan. And there wasn't a day that went by that I just didn't want to just, just be with her. This is before FaceTime. This is before, like, email was really taking off. Yes, I'm getting older. Um, so, like, long-distance phone bills were the norm for us, right? So there's no texting, no none of that. And so, but there wasn't a day that went by that I didn't want to just see her to talk with her face to face. So different, isn't it? Just take walks together. So it took some time before God worked out our circumstances where we could get married and be together. That's not at all what we experience with Jesus because of the Spirit. 
Jesus is telling us here in John 14 that having the Spirit is like having Him right there with us. Man, that's such a promise, church. There is no long distance just because Jesus has gone back to prepare a place for us, to go to gone back and be with the Father. There's no loss for us as modern followers of Jesus because we have the Spirit and not physically have Jesus. To have the Spirit is to have Jesus and the Father. I wonder how the awareness of the Spirit's presence impacts you right now. In whatever you're going through in your life, His constant abiding presence in your life. See, this is what Jesus has promised us. And as if that's not incredible enough, the Spirit actually does more for us than dwell in us. So let's go back to our text and see how the conversation continues. Pick it up in verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. There it is again. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And some still even deeper words from Jesus. And consistent with the evening, we have yet another question from another disciple. This time, it's the other Judas. Judas the traitor has actually left, right? And so this is Judas, the son of James. And he's like, Jesus, how are you going to do this? How are you going to show yourself to us, but yet the world won't see you? He's clearly confused. And see, many, uh, if not most, of the first century Jews really believed and were waiting for the Messiah, that he would show himself in power to the world. And the disciples actually got this one right. They actually saw Jesus as the Messiah. They declared him as much throughout the gospel. So this one, they did well on. They didn't miss this one. But what Jesus is talking about here is something far more intimate than seeing him physically. Jesus again says knowing him comes through love resulting in obedience. But look again where Jesus goes with it. Look again at verse 23. He says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And perhaps the most intimate of all places, home. Jesus is talking about a love, saturated communion with him. Just like the oneness he has with the Father and the Spirit, it's made possible by the Spirit dwelling in us. And see, this is the reason why people don't see or know him, as Jesus said here, because they don't believe in the one that the Father has sent. They don't believe in the one that they have sent to dwell in us. And this, this communion that Jesus speaks of goes far beyond any head knowledge. This is far deeper and far more significant than some intellectual checking the box of Jesus as a person. It's about preferring him. Remember, it's about devotion to him. It's about appreciating him, having concern for what concerns him, following through on what he says. I think if I could put it simply, belief in Christ leads to love for Christ, which naturally flows out in obedience to Christ. 
But I think there's even another way we can know that that's true. All throughout John's gospel, we see Jesus saying, I do what the Father, I see the Father doing. All that the Father has made known to me, I've made known to you. And so Jesus has modeled this for them for three and a half years. This, this love that flows out into obedience. See, there's a closeness. There's a oneness that Jesus has. And this is what the Spirit brings about in us as he dwells in us. He makes us a home for God to dwell, a temple, if you will, where we dwell with Christ and the Father. And so I wonder, as you hear those words, how would you answer this question? What are the defining marks of a home? A place of peace, security, rest? See, a place, a home is a place where family dwells. It's an intimate place. At home, it either is, I think it should be, the place where our closest and most meaningful relationships of our lives take place and thrive. Relationships that keep us together. That's the second thing that the Spirit does. It keeps us in the truth. The Spirit keeps us in the truth. And as followers of Christ, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in you and I to keep us in the love relationship with him, with him and the Father, with him, the Son, who is the truth. Let's go back to our text and see how it finishes. Look at what Jesus says. He pick it up as he says in verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You have heard me said to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that, here it is, the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go on, or let us go from here. So again, Jesus speaks of leaving. And again, he promises to send the Holy Spirit. And this time, he actually calls him out by the Holy Spirit. However, I don't know if you caught it. I hope, hopefully you did. He actually unpacks what the Holy Spirit will do for his disciples as one like him. Look back at verse 26. He says, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In other words, if you allow me to paraphrase for you, he's going to be consistent with me. The ways that I've lived, the, the works that I've done, the, the things that I've said, he's going to continue those things. What I've started with you and in you, he will continue. This brings us to the third point, third truth of our spirit, of the spirit in us. He teaches us the truth. The spirit teaches us the truth. You know, today, spirituality is all the rave, isn't it? 
Every time we turn around, we see someone claiming to be spiritual, claiming to practice spiritual things, claiming to be in touch with things that are spiritual. But I think if we look closer at the world's spirituality, we see it's definitely not biblical. I would argue it's not even relational, right? It kind of treats everything as fluid. And in fact, I think it's a spirituality that's guided more by the buffet of personal freedom and experience than anything else. And here in John 14, Jesus gives us clear wisdom on how to tell the work of the Spirit. It's consistent with Him. It's consistent with His words, His ways, and the way He lived among them. And I think we can affirm this together today, church, is that the Spirit will never teach you anything. It will never lead you in a direction that's contrary to God's Word. That is rock solid for us from the mouth of our very Savior. But even with that clarity, Jesus, he has even more comfort to give his disciples. He says in verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And he assures them, like, look, this is not the way the world gives. And then later in 28, he tells them that the reason why he's told them all of this is that so they would believe when it happened. I wonder, how does the divine peace of Jesus deepen your belief in him? He tells us that's exactly why he's given it to us. To fuel a stronger belief in him, a deeper devotion to him, a greater hunger for us to obey his words, to keep those in our head. You know, I remember when Georgette and I first taught our boys how to ride their bikes. We were living in New York at the time, and they, we lived behind a school that had an absolute massive parking lot. So it was perfect for this. And it came time uh, to take the training wheels off. So we were kind of in sketchy ground. But I remember when they first got on their bikes, they started to ride, and they would, each of them, get so excited to ride, Dad, I'm doing it! Mom, I'm doing it! And they would just get so pumped, and they would just yell out. What neither of them realized is that I'm running behind them with my hand on the seat. So is my wife. She's running behind Braden with her hand on his seat. Yes, they were riding their bikes, but both of our hands were keeping them from falling. I think sometimes you and I can look at our lives and we think we're just doing it all. And no doubt I count myself as one among you. Sometimes it feels that way. But the truth is our helper, the Holy Spirit, dwells in us to keep us on the path of following Christ. He keeps us upright. He keeps us going, teaching us everything we need along the way. Church, every effort that you and I make to obey comes by the power of the Spirit dwelling in us. And I would charge you today that if self-reliance was of any value whatsoever, Jesus would not have asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit. But Jesus has a special love for you and I as disciples of his. And the proof is the Holy Spirit, who is another just like him. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.